It's December 14th, and after another long hiatus, the Swim Bros are back for episode 14. I'm your host, Kyle House, alongside my brother, Grant. Grant, you just came off the Junior National Swim Meet in Columbus, Ohio. Tell us a little bit about your experience. Yeah, so it was my first Junior Nationals ever, and kind of my first rest meet. I've never really done a full taper, and I still haven't, but I kind of did a three-day little rest here for myself at Junior Nationals, uh, the east side in in, uh, Columbus, Ohio, as there was a west side at College Station as well. Texas Um, A&M. And uh, both sites had very fast swimming, but for... For myself, it was it was nice to finally get swimming fast again with uh, the freestyle events. I swam the 500 there, dropped a second and a half uh, out of the C final, and um, and then the 200 freestyle out of my first lifetime best since my sophomore year of high school. So nice. two years, uh, that was nice to have another lifetime best in that. And I swam the 50 and the 100 backstroke, but those were more or less just kind of fun events. And then the final day, I actually skipped out on the final day of junior nationals to come back to cincinnati ohio and swim a good old keating natatorium for the 200 im and i improved my lifetime best by about a half second and got the school record in that by about two and a half seconds and then i also swam the 100 fly lifetime best in that swam the 50 on a relay and 100 lead off for a season best so it was an overall successful week Real team player doing the trade-off at Junior Nats for a high school meet. Yeah, I, I really like being a part of the team, and up at Juniors, I was the only one from my team, so it would seem like an easy easy pick to me, but it was enjoyable nonetheless at both spots. Yeah, there's nothing quite like that high school experience. Did I hear you right in saying that this was your first ever Junior National swim meet? Yeah, I've been to two Senior National meets uh, in the summer and in the winter, but not a junior nationals. So this is my first and last one due to the age. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty funny considering you've been to Ireland and Singapore <laughs> and done the the uh, Colorado Springs thing. Uh, very interesting. I did not know that. And this will also be your last junior national meet. Am I correct? As yep. you are not eligible for the next one because it's eighteen yeah. and under. Yeah, due to age, I won't be. So I figure why not? Why the heck not? Well, you went out with a bang, got a couple lifetime bests, and got to do it right in your backyard there in Columbus, Ohio. So good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before we move on, I did just want to ask you, what did you think about splitting the Junior National meet up? Um, this isn't really a true Junior Nationals. It's more of a semi-Nationals, if you will, because half the country is at the west side and half is at the east side. You know, I think from, from a viewer's perspective, it makes uh, the meets, you know, not last as long. And from a swimmer's perspective, in my mind, it makes warm-ups a little easier. Uh, did you feel like you were missing out on anything by having the sites split up? Other than the fact that like just people I knew, friends I'd made have made over the years weren't there, I thought it was actually a lot more beneficial. And last year, seeing it from afar, watching the results, and uh, kind of wondering how that how that would go about. But the whole reasoning behind this originally was just because of the size of the meat and how overpopulated it was, and just time really. And I have to, I say, now that I've experienced it, I think it's a, a great thing. Uh, prelims gets over quicker overall. I don't feel as if the prelims of heats were rushed as much as I would expect. And there was plenty of time in between prelims and finals. And I think that helped overall uh, the swims be faster at the West and East sites. And I think comparatively, you can look at the meets and see the times. And obviously that's not the same. And you can have some, like we had some of those people this summer get uh, times that would have made the Olympic team at different meets, but obviously that didn't count for them. But obviously there is the the fact that 
in the aspect that you're not competing against each other in the same pool, but I think it has more positives than negatives in it. Yeah, certainly, I guess the argument is that it dilutes the competition a bit, and, and if this were a selection meet, how would you feel if you were edged out by somebody on the west site, you know, beating you by a tenth or a hundredth, knowing that they weren't in the same pool if they were selected for another team? Is that the potential downfall as a swimmer? I, I guess so, and I mean, fortunately enough, the Summer Juniors is one site as of right now, and there aren't really any selection meets based off of short course, right. um, the, the exception of NCSA, when you mentioned I, I went to Ireland, with the exception of NCSAs, where I went to Ireland, but even in that case, I swam short course in the morning and then long course at night, so there was the long course factor in the same pool, but yeah, I don't think it really takes away from, from that. But uh, like you said, if if we did swim in the same pool, for example, I wouldn't have made it back in the 500 just with how fast it was in preliminary times. Right. So one of the other benefits is just giving some of those, you know, maybe blossoming swimmers or swimmers that don't do as well in the prelims another shot, whereas <laughs> they normally wouldn't have that opportunity. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, I would love to uh, go into more more in depth in a later podcast about the prelims to finals transitions because you are truly one-of-a-kind swimmer that An can enigma. drop, uh, you know, six to seven seconds in an six event seconds, from prelims yeah. to finals. You don't see that very often. I'd love to have a coach on here and get their, their take on that. Um, so maybe we'll do that in a future podcast. But just overall, kind of wrapping up the Junior National stuff, you know, if you have any doubts about the, the future of USA Swimming, if you're worried that Michael Phelps is, you know, retired and maybe Lochte's phasing out, I don't think that uh, we have anything to fear. We have some some real studs coming up the ranks, uh, moving into the NCAA system here soon, and it was certainly on display in Columbus and Texas A&M. Yeah, with guys like Reese Whitley, Ryan Hoffer, Daniel Carr, and there's honestly just a plethora of girls. It's too, it's kind of so many to just a single one or two out, but... And that's that's a good problem to have for USA Swimming. So. Yeah, definitely. Studly, studly uh, swims out there and, and a great showcase for USA Swimming Junior Team. So good stuff from the junior sites. But we have some other pressing business to address. We have been off the mics for a while and a lot of NCAA meets have come and go, including all of the midseason rest, shave, and taper meets. So we want to Catch you guys back up a little bit on that and go over some of the midseason ranking reports. Uh, we recently ran a poll to find out who our viewers trust most as far as the rankings, and it seemed like Swim Swam came out on top. Most of our most of our listeners thought that Swim Swam was the most re- reliable polling system. So we do have their midseason report just based off current times uh, without diving and. In a commanding lead there, they have California ranked number one. Grant, let's talk about how these uh, rankings compare to the coaches poll, which is the other, I'd say, most respected poll out there right now. Yeah, yeah. And I do have to say I was kind of surprised at how many more people thought the swim swim was over the other ones. Um, Just like kind of comparatively to see where people kind of had their faith, I guess, in, in the systems of ranking. But in the coaches poll, California has is one texas is two nc stays three stanford four and indiana is five um and then how about the the swim swam one yeah definitely some some big differences there in the swim swam report which again is based solely on times the coaches poll is based on coaches votes and opinions Um, correct so the swim swam poll is california one stanford two texas three 
Missouri 4, and Georgia 5. Wow. Now, it's no surprise that some of these teams are hanging out at the top. We've covered in previous podcasts how fast some of these teams have been swimming for the midseason meets. Uh, Certainly, Missouri strutting their stuff with their flyer, uh, Michael Chadwick on the freestyle legs, and they also have a pretty good breaststroker, Fabian Schwingenschwagel, Schwingenschwagel. that have put together some good times. So these teams that really kind of came out and had a great big midseason rest, shave, and taper, they're the ones you're going to see at the top of this list for the Swim Swam rankings. And in the coaches' poll, I think we have a little more context. You know, a team like NC State, who really came out and posted some fast times at the beginning, but didn't have as big of a midseason rest as some of these other teams. The coaches respect that, they recognize that, and that's why they're in the top five in the coaches' list. Same with a team like Indiana, who sneaks into the top five. They recognize the potential of the team, where they're just outside in the swimstream rankings at number seven. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of surprising to see that like you mentioned, that NC State came out with some from very fast times all, all around, I thought, in the men's and women's, and they've obviously been climbing the ranks. And then in the swim-swim poll and rankings with the actual times, they they fall all the way down to nine, but in the coaches, they're, they're third. So it, it aids to say that the coaches might have more belief that at the end of the season, the NC State Wolfpack will be where they need to be. Um, but like you said, they didn't have as big as a rest as we know of than most people did with a full taper, full shave, and all that. And guys like Anton Ibsen going to 4.13 and posting a very, very respectable time at this point in the season, especially when it was in November. And the rest of their distance guys really showing what they can do. So off to a good start for them. So let's talk a little bit about some of the highlights of these top five teams. Let's start with the consensus number one, Cal Berkeley. And let's talk a little bit about some of the, the fast times that have put them into this pole position here. So yeah, so mainly the, the the big meet that they really hit off at was the UG invite. Cal, Georgia, and Michigan, the big hitters there. Also Virginia as well. And they were really, I think, star-studded by uh, their freshmen. Uh, they had Michael Jensen uh, with a 41 freestyle anchor leg, which uh, at this point in the season, again, did not expect to see him going that Definitely kind of didn't even expect him to see a 41 this whole year. I thought he would just be touching a 42 near the end, and he also had an 18-9 split as well. He won a 42 flat start, and also uh, another freshman there, Alki, he, um, from Hawaii, he split a 42-1 flat start, and so they're obviously doing something right with their, their fr- freestyle sprinters and taking, uh, taking the freestyle sprints by storm here. Dirty Dave Durden getting those uh, freshmen in shape. Got yeah. some real, some real diaper dandies, baby. Some <laughs> diaper dandies. Yeah, he's still got the reliable backstroke from Murphy with a twenty point nine forty four six hundred backstroke and a one thirty eight two back. Um, so he's obviously got the veteran leadership there as well. And and Andrew Selsker had a pretty stellar performance as well, um, all around at his events. But that's kind of it's kind of what you expect from him. And but overall, Cal really. Blew, blew the roof off the place there. Yeah, and you got to trust that some of those star guys are going to be there and ready to perform at the end of the season. We know Dave and Yuri will have them ready. Um, of note, a couple names missing from these incredible swims that you've already mentioned. Matt Josa, the transfer from Queens University, and Long Gutierrez will both be returning to Cal after the semester and contributing to their NCAA title contention. Um, so those... Those swimmers are not reflected in these rankings right now, at least for the swim-swam. I don't know if the coaches know about them or not. 
uh, but certainly they will factor into scoring at NCAAs. Just behind Cal in both of these polls, we have Texas. Now, Texas has had a, a couple good swims here and there, uh, but we all know they kind of don't show their true hand until the end of the season. Grant, why don't you highlight some of the big swims from Texas that we've seen thus far? Well, I actually think one of the biggest swims was from Clark Smith at this point in the season, and I think he's notoriously done very well on kind of a shorter rest than the big NCAA meet at the end of the year where he's kind of had some struggles in the past. Clark Smith posted a 4.11 in the 500 to win at the meet in a very highly contested 500 heat. He also had a very stellar 200 as well and 1,000. Um, Jack Conger was another one. He had a 44, but it was actually um, the same near the same time as Tom Shields, another Cal swimmer who was at Nationals. But uh, who put up a 43, first sub-44 in history. But Jack Conger put a low-key 4,400 fly down, which uh, kind of the first time a 44 ever really became irrelevant at a time, which is kind of scary, but great to great to think about that it's getting that fast. And overall, I think the sprints were right where the Texas is normally at. Nothing too fast, nothing surprising, really. They had their normal Eddie Reese invite with some quick... 50 times here and there in some kind of oddball events like the 300 fly, 300 backstroke. Um, But other than that, I thought they swam pretty admirably. Now, some of the missing swimmers uh, we mentioned from Cal were Long Gutierrez and Matt Josa. Texas has their own kind of uh, weapon X's here coming in at semester. We have Joseph Schooling, who you all know is the Olympic gold medalist in the 100 fly. Will Lacone, who also had a strong showing at Olympic trials. And Ryan Hardy. Uh, who will also be contributing to the NCAA effort. So both Cal and Texas holding back a little bit. Who knows what kind of other secrets and uh, other tricks they might have up their sleeves, but certainly both have some some more swims in the tank. And we can't forget about the Texas diving, always strong, and will definitely factor into the end of the season NCAA championship. So right now, my money's still on Texas. You know, you gotta you, you gotta dethrone the big dog, and I think Cal's really gonna have their work cut out for them. Certainly with their incoming class, I think they have a strong, bright future ahead of them. But I think this year it's still Texas's time. What do you think? I I mean, I think it's gonna be highly contested. I don't think NC State's quite got the depth of the guns to do it yet. I think in some individual events they'll really shoot out like a like a bolt with some of them, but in others they just don't seem to have the depth like we talked about with a hundred fly, for example. They have to have Ryan, Ryan Held swim that, and it's a he, he can post a phenomenal time, but uh, I would assume they'd want to save him for the freestyle events and, and the sprints on the relays. But I think I'm after the times that have been shown and the, the guns they have left, I think I have to lean towards Cal this Interesting. year. Um, I think Texas has obviously got strong cards up within the up of their sleeves with Will Lacone, four M, two breast, and Joseph Schooling, hundred fly, two fly, and basically any relay, hundred free. He swam that at the Olympics, semifinaled. So I mean they've obviously got a lot of talent left to to mess around with and move into their lineups and it'll be interesting to see how both these teams take their missing pieces and incorporate them into their championship run. Yeah, I just really feel like it's such a big advantage for Texas to be able to kind of relax through their Big 12 conference meet. You know, they don't have much competition there, and certainly some of the guys will be fully rested and shaved, but the the emotional toll that a conference meet can play on a swimmer is, I think, really understated. And even though Cal is definitely the favorite in the Pac-12, Stanford's going to give them all they can handle, uh, certainly with the reputation to bring the heat at the Pac-12 championships. Yeah. and. 
maybe sometimes a little too much and not show up at NCAAs. We'll see how that plays out this season. But, you know, I, I think definitely it's going to be more of an emotional meet at conference for Cal than it will be for Texas. And I think you're going to see that in the weeks after at NCAAs. But you mentioned NC State. Let's talk about some of these other teams that might play a factor at the final meet. I do not think that they're on the same level as Cal and Texas quite yet, but they're certainly building. And there are some other teams in a similar position. So why don't we start with NC State? You mentioned Ryan Held. Uh, talk about maybe a little bit about Anton Ipston, who's had some big, big swims thus far this season, and the recent graduate, Simonis Bielis, who just won a short course world championship. Yeah, yeah. And Simonis, like you said, is, is graduated, so he won't be there, but he's still representing Wolfpack Elite. And at, at the Worlds, he won the 100 freestyle, so that's obviously huge for them. Um, Anton Ipson kind of putting his name into the international uh, middle freestyle, like 400 meter and onto the mile show as well. He got ranked fourth overall at Worlds this year, um, short course meters. And he'll be a force to be reckoned with at NCAAs. He's already posted a 413 in the 500. And so you, you'll be seeing, I think, probably a new American record, I'd, I'd have to believe. I'd, bold prediction as of right now, I, I think we're looking at a 405 almost in the 500. Overall, the American, Anton can't get it, but overall, the American record, I think, will be broken just by the level of swimmers we have. And they got guys like Hennessy Stewart, backstroke, 200, 100. He's already put up a 140, so that's pretty close to Ryan Murphy at this point. I'm sure he's got much more room for improvement. I'm sure he's got a lot of motivation to uh, to try to dethrone Murph Dog Millionaire there. So obviously they've got Ryan Held, Olympian. I'm sure everyone's got his name in the household now. And they've got some they've got some other studs there as well. They've got some pretty good depth in breaststroke, and obviously they've got a lot of distance talent as we've seen already early in the year. So I think they will be able to put some together really strong relays as they are kind of look they have been the <clears throat> sprint capital of the US for about a couple two two, three years now since they've been uh, coming onto the scene, but they'll they'll be there to perform. They'll be there to race, and they'll be ready. So yeah, we definitely project them to be in the top five. I think some other teams that are in contention for that are Florida, uh, led by Caleb Dressel. If you want to discuss some of his times that he's thrown down thus far this season, yeah, it was kind of interesting. At nationals, he was slated to swim again after they they had taken a team trip to Georgia Tech invite, where he did really well, and and then he ended up scratching nationals. But at the Georgia Tech invite, he was a eighteen seven flat start, one forty two two im, which is pretty very strong for him and just for anyone at this point. And then a forty four eight. 600 fly which is really close to what he went last year at at uh, sec conference meet so already hitting that mark this early and then on the 100 free of 41.3 so none of the times lackluster by any means and just another stellar performance from caleb up to his old antics of just being dominant in the sprint events and just raw showing showcasing his raw power they might put him in the 200 freestyle this year see what he can do in that and i'm sure he'll be an asset on the eight free relay Alongside his new teammate, freshman Maxime Rooney, who um, was a 134 in the two free at the Georgia Tech, but actually went to nationals and dropped over a second and won a 133. So he's obviously showcasing some speed at the early point in the season and also showing that he can extend that, that rest a little bit longer, probably get the coaches a better indication of what he really needs at the end of the season. So better results could 
could bloom. Certainly some versatile threats on that team. Maybe just not quite the depth this year. Let's talk about Stanford and some of their outstanding freshmen led by Grant Schultz and True Sweetster. Yeah, Grant Schultz, True Sweetster definitely leading the charge on the distance side of things. They had four guy or three guys go four twelves at the UG invite, all following Clark Smith, Grant Schultz four twelve, True Sweetster four twelve, and not a freshman, but um just a valuable as member, Liam Egan on a four twelve. And also James Murphy um went a four seventeen in in his in his five four seventeen, four eighteen and his five free at that meet as well. So by no means a, a slacking time, but it's just incredible to see that them they're having four freshmen under a four nineteen at this point in the season already and, and going near their lifetime best is not crushing them already. And I think that will bode well for them. But like you said, they've had some issues in the past with the Pac twelve conference and then carrying that on to NCAA. So it'll be interesting if maybe this group breaks through that barrier and is the first ones not the first ones, but kind of go back to of old and put the focus on NCAAs. Yeah, they're certainly shaping up to have a bright future, uh, living in the shadow of the girls program there in recent years, but things could change shortly if these guys keep on the trajectory that they're currently at. So it'll be interesting to see how Stanford does near the end of the season this year. Some other teams that definitely have a chance to make some noise and sneak into that top five We have Missouri, who we already mentioned, who's going to have a very strong medley relay at the end of the year. We have Georgia, who we haven't talked about really at all, but they have some very strong swimmers on that team. Why don't you highlight them a little bit? Yeah, we got we got Chase Kalish, obviously dominant in the four IM Olympic silver medalist there. Two IM, two breaststroke, and two fly. Actually, he's got a lot of a lot of experience with. So nothing surprising coming from Coach Bob Bowman's training system. And uh, the work he's put in there. So able to see the training that Bowman can give him uh, come through there. And also they've got another Olympian, Jay Lillerland, and his distance prowess with the 4IM again, another Olympian. And he's got the 200 backstroke as well. And then they've got Pace Clark as well still. So he'll be a dominant force in the two fly uh, as well as the 100 so they've got definitely got some tools to to throw in there and kind of maybe play the spoiler in some of these events at at NCAA's and they'll be they'll be one to watch out for. And really rounding out the contenders in my mind are Indiana University and Alabama. I think they both have some good chances, some good depth at each event, and I think they'll be right around that top five area. Some of the teams that I see kind of on the outside looking in are your teams like Louisville. I think they have a very strong team, definitely going to be top 10. I just don't see them having the firepower to be top five this year. We have Southern Cal, USC, who I think has some very strong performers up top, but we'll just see how ready that Salo has them for NCAAs. It's uh, really kind of hit or miss with them in my mind, and we'll see what kind of depth they have come the end of the season. Yeah, they had uh, Dylan Carter lead off their 8 free with a 132, and then nowhere to be found the rest of the meet. So, Or not nowhere to be found, but not really all around um, as dominant as that first performance, really. And his partner in crime, Santo Condorelli, definitely going to put together some good relays with those two. That'll as, be spicy, as two of the yeah. legs, Certainly. Uh, a couple of teams that, you know, I really think they're perennial powerhouses, and I just haven't seen much from them this year. We have Michigan University, kind of just not really showing any fast, great times yet so far this season, from my perspective, and also 
Auburn University, I think they're in kind of a rebuilding phase, and it might take them a bit of time to catch back up with their opponents there in the SEC. Yeah, I, I think Auburn is definitely in a rebuilding phase, and I think they'll be one to kind of kind of watch. I think the rebuildings, not maybe the rebuilding process has been going on, but I think they've been kind of in a decline for the last couple of years, and and I think uh, Sergio Lopez, well, this will be kind of a year to maybe get them back in the right direction and and see where they kind of fall in NCAA's. I think they'll they'll have a good good showing at the end of the year. I don't think they'll really maybe place that many in the top eight, but maybe one or two here here or there. And I think their relays could do pretty pretty well. In maybe the constellation final and and maybe just a good start into what's the future to become there. And on the women's side, I really don't think there's too much to discuss after Stanford. I mean, these guys are the clear, far and away favorite in my mind. Uh, of course, led by Katie Ledecky. They are just absolutely loaded and no signs of slowing down with the incoming recruiting class they have next year. What Do you see anybody having a shot at dethroning Stanford on the women's side this year? I mean, dethroning as a team, absolutely not. I mean, I see some teams playing spoiler. They've got, there's actually a girl in Kentucky, Danielle Gaylor, in the 200 backstroke, the reigning national championship, so she could reclaim her title there. Um, California has some talented individuals like Amy Bilquist that could win the 50 and they could win like the 200 freestyle relay. But honestly, other than a couple events here or there and Leah Smith from Virginia really contesting Ledecky for a couple laps, I, I don't see any issue, Stanford having any issue really barring any black plagues that might hit Stanford University the week before NCAA. Yeah, we know Coach Meehan will have the, the ladies ready to go just as he did last year. So that kind of wraps up the NCAA talk and your midseason report along with some projections for the end of the season. Are you ready to move into segments or do you want to cover world championships at all? I mean, we can go we can go into world trials. Let's, let's, let's dive into it a little bit. All right, we'll dive into world championships. What did you think about the showing from Team USA? I thought it was very admirable. Obviously, it's short course meter so we're not exactly used to swimming in that. It's obviously short course yards or long course meters, but I thought it was a very admirable showing. I thought it could have been a lot better, but it could have been easily much worse. Um, the relays, we kind of underperformed, I felt like. I didn't feel like we had a lot of our big guns there, obviously. The post-Olympic year, kind of a lull, and that's shown by nationals where not many people were at the meet in general, but there were the people who were there were ready to race, but we didn't really have the depth and the the firepower to do anything real special there. But I think overall it was a decent showing for the United States. Um, there was some young talent there like Marta Cielsa and Michael Taylor, Michael Andrew, who claimed his first world championship international medal in the hundred IM, which was amazing to see that uh, as a friend and as a spectator watching the sport and for USA swimming to see that with such young talent. And certainly one of the stars of the meet uh, was the Iron Lady, Katinka Hosu, who yeah. had several event wins, and also Chad LeClaw on the men's side taking the butterfly... Trifecta. Uh, exactly, winning the 50, the 100, and the 200, which is uh, an incredible feat. Setting a world record in the 100, uh, 100 fly short course meters, too, by by a sizable amount. So Definitely. And I do have to mention my alma mater, Queen's University, sent three representatives to Shout the out. world championships, so... I would like to see if there are any Division II schools that match that. I would say almost certainly not. And I would say that it'd be hard-pressed to find a couple D1 schools that were even ahead of that. So lots of good swimming there in Ontario. Grant, is there anything else that you'd like to mention from that meet? I'll save, I'll save another comment for, my, for the later segment. Did you want to talk about Molly Renshaw at all? 
I mean, she's she's definitely a great face for um, British swimming. I'm, new I'm, new favorite swimmer of the Swim Bros. I podcast? mean, I think for the Swim Bros. podcast, <laughs> yeah, she can. She we'll, we'll sponsor her anytime. We'll sponsor her anytime. If you're listening, we know you are, Molly. <laughs> okay, good stuff. So let's go ahead and move into our segments. Everybody's favorite. You like that? You like that? Sponsored by Kirk. Let's do it, Kirk. You like that? Alright, Grant, my you like that for the week is is gonna be stepping outside the NFL. There hasn't been much that I like there as we've had several bloody Sundays in the words of you two. Sunday, bloody Sunday. <laughs> so I'm actually gonna go back to the old faithful Netflix series. I've been binge watching a show called Shameless. Absolutely unrelated to swimming, but an absolutely great show. Uh headlined by William H. Macy. You might know him from Jurassic Park or Fargo, but he is great in this show. He's a deadbeat dad that has a family of about seven kids and kind of just chronicles their exploits. It's got a good mix of drama and comedy and definitely not a show for younger kids. But you know what? If you're old enough to listen to this podcast, you're probably old enough to check out an adult show. I think that's probably safe to say. So uh, if not, don't tune in. If you are old enough, please check it out. It's a great show. Let us know what you think. Grant, what is your you like that for this week? Uh, my you like that is it's it's getting to holiday holiday Christmas break time. So got a couple more exams here in the next two days. But overall, into a nice little breather from the academic side of things and really getting into the into grinding, grind mode with the St. Xavier Bombers into Christmas training. But... Looking forward to it and looking forward to time with family as my last um, last holiday break, Christmas-wise, at home, officially at home, uh, with the family. So Yeah, man, you'll uh, you'll be shipping off to Arizona after this. No more of this single-degree weather. Uh, no more snow that you'll have to deal with. So See you, Ohio. Yeah, I'm sure you won't miss it. Uh, I had a coach once that said, when it gets cold outside, you know, it's almost time to start swimming fast. So if you're in the Midwest, we are definitely at that point. Uh, It is getting a tad bit uh, nippy out here. So if you're on the West Coast or down South, really cherish what you have. Uh, I miss the weather in Charlotte, certainly. And soon you'll be experiencing the blazing heat of the Arizona sun. Mm, So our last time here with the the snow for you. So that was You Like That. Uh, Stay tuned for next week. We might have an ooh-wee segment. Ooh. Again, sponsored by Kirk Cousins. So look for that in another episode. But as always, we have to go to our hot takes. Hot takes. Grant, what is your hot take this week? My hot take this week is, folks, don't take two dolphin kicks off your wall and breaststroke. Mm. At the short course world championships, like we were talking about, USA was disqualified for Cody Miller taking two breaststroke or two dolphin kicks on his breaststroke. And I mean, I just goes to show they're always watching. You can't, you can't really slide anything by even the most elite at the most elite level. Um, as shown here, an Olympian got, got kind of called on it. And, um, there wasn't, they had video evidence. They saw it, the official saw it. And so there's no way around it. And I just think it's cheaters never, cheaters don't prosper. And I don't, I don't think, uh, that, that, um, this scenario was one of a kind, maybe. But I, I hope it was, but in, in the case it wasn't, I hope it changes that now. But 
Um, that's my hot take is don't be taking, don't be taking more than one dolphin kick off the, off the wall, guys. Interesting. You know, I, with the, with the, uh, introduction of underwater footage and with it becoming more prevalent, I think it's going to be harder and harder for breaststrokers to get away with that. But I believe that it's much more common than people think, especially in breaststroke of all strokes. I've always thought as a non-breaststroker, that really it was just about who can cheat the best in that stroke. That is kind of kind of my opinion. Not to be anti breaststroke, but I am. I mean, if you watch like even the most elite levels, the four AM, if they show underwater underwater footage of Ryan Lochte's four AM, and it almost seems like he does a breaststroke kick and then a dolphin kick, but that's throughout the entire field. It's it's kind of crazy almost i would say any finals heat at the elite level if you watch underwater footage of breaststrokers swimming into the wall at the finish you will see anywhere between 25 to 50 percent of the lanes doing doing some illegal dolphin kicks into the wall so it's almost an epidemic yeah yeah i kind of you know i i certainly don't condone it but in my mind it's it's been going on for a long time uh i've heard stories believe it or not of swimmers tanning the bottom of their feet to try to match the tone of the rest of their skin so it's less perceptible to officials above the water looking down at the soles of their feet. I have this wow. is this is not an that's, urban legend. That's earth this has gone stuff. back ten to fifteen years that this has been going on. So, you know, I think for a long time now breaststrokers have been trying to get away with as much as they can. Uh now they're at least allowed the one dolphin kick. But uh, I think, yeah, you're going to hear about that from time to time. People doing the, the dolphin kicks or, you know, maybe one hand touches, the phantom one hand touches. Ooh, yeah. You'll see that from time to time. And it takes a bold official to step up and make that call for an elite level athlete. So takes kudos, kudos to that official for really stepping <laughs> outside the box. Unfortunately, it was at the at the World Championships. And unfortunately, it was the United States. But it happened nonetheless. So. Yes. And I'm sure the situation will be rectified moving forward. I would I would only hope it would. So Kyle, what is your hot take? Well, my hot take is going to be uh, pertaining to one of our favorites here on the Swim Bros Podcast. Mm, yes, yes. Ryan Lochte. Oh, you wow. guys probably all follow him on social media. He's very active. Um, recently, you have seen some posts about him training for 2020. It's never too early. He seems determined. He seems focused. Today, he released the news that he is expecting a... Uh, Lochte Jr. Wow. On the way. His fiance is expecting a child. Um, due coincidentally, uh, right behind, you know, Mr. Phelps here. Lochte's, uh, having a baby right after Michael Phelps, just kind of like he's been chasing him through his swimming career. I don't know if there's any parallels to be had there. Kermit meme? <laughs> but my hot take is actually, let's, let's start getting some, uh, let's start getting some, bets down on the board for about 20 years from now for this usa relay that we have coming up we got boomer we got little lochte jr we got baby grievers baby out here. grievers if yeah. we can just get one more going we have a really sound relay so let's let's keep them coming from these from these olympic superstars <laughs> connor dwyer ricky exactly. Nathan, maybe Nathan adrian anthony urban anyone, where you at anyone let's let's, let's get it cooking let's get some buns in the <laughs> oven let's fill out this roster but uh, it'll certainly, you know, these kids are going to be swimming. It'll certainly be interesting to see him progress. But congratulations to Mr. Lochte. Um, that is big news. And uh, yeah, so I'm sure that the social media world will be following that closely. Swim Swam loves Ryan Lochte. The swimming community loves Ryan Lochte. So we will be following that closely. I 
think that might be it for us. I think that's a I think that's a good solid wrap on the episode. Yeah, I think that's going to wrap up episode 14. We covered some big NCAA stuff. We talked about juniors, talked about worlds, a lot of good stuff. Uh, in our last episode, we promised a recruiting, full episode dedicated to recruiting. No, um, no segments, no anything like that. Just focus solely on recruiting. And that is still coming. We are gathering our excellent information that we've had from years of experience in the recruiting process. And we will be delivering that shortly. It's just been busy around here, you guys. It's the Christmas season. Holidays have been going on. We had to make that vegan Thanksgiving. And it's just been busy, okay? But look for the recruiting episode to come out soon. And I think that's going to do it, guys. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Thanks for your patience. We do want to leave you with a a three-of-a-kind trivia question. If anybody can nail this and tweet at us the answer, you will be rewarded in kind. Grant, why don't you go ahead and lay down this three-of-a-kind? What do Rosa Parks, Bo Jackson, and Channing Tatum have in common? It's in your hands now. Tell us what you think. This is not a joke, guys. This is a, there's a real legitimate answer. And if somebody tweets it at us, you are the winner and you will be rewarded. So think about it. Do your research. Get back to us at Swim Bros Podcast at Twitter or hit us up on Gmail, swimbrospodcast at gmail.com. We did not check it for about a month plus and we caught up on some emails. So we will be better about uh, addressing that. And uh, in the meantime, <coughs> one of us will be better. Yes, one of us will be better. And, you know, I guess, is this, is this episode going to be dedicated to Harambe? As always. Never forget, guys. Never forget. R.I.P. R.I.P. Harambe. Stay safe out there. Good luck with the Christmas training. Peace. Thanks. I said it again and again. Can't get it out of my head. Friend said, better off as she is. I'm thinking it's maybe just a forget it. I'm too lost instead from being. Far ahead, just barely to see where she is. I get it. This may be just that it's all.